We live in a world where satire can get you kicked right off of social media. And the Babylon Bee is the best satire site there is. Hi, I'm Stuart Shepard, and this is First Liberty Live. Thank you for liking and sharing our videos. You are so important to this project. You are the way that we get to meet new friends, and we appreciate you for doing that. My guest today is Seth Dillon. He is CEO of the Babylon Bee, whose slogan is Fake News You Can Trust. Last year, First Liberty Institute uh, actually filed a real-life amicus brief on behalf of the Babylon Bee and not the Bee and a federal appeals court, and we argued together for free speech and fairness in social media. Hi, Seth. Hey, how you doing? It's good to be here. I'm glad you made some time for us today. I've been looking forward to talking to you. For anyone not familiar with the bee, here are a couple of my favorite recent headlines. We're going to put them up on the screen here. Husband scientists confirm minimum of 35 pieces of tape required to wrap a gift. I can vouch for that one. And my, my personal favorite, DNC and the media collude to suppress story about DNC and the media colluding to suppress a story. <laughs> which, which are just perfect examples, Seth, of how all good comedy is based in truth. Yeah. Yeah, that one... Um barely qualifies as satire. We actually had a lot of people asking us how, why we didn't publish that one on Not the Bee instead of the Bad One Bee. It certainly fits. How do you come up with the ideas for this site? You know, what's your staff do to put all this together? Well, we read the news every day, and then uh, and we look at what's going on in the headlines, and then we pitch ideas back and forth. Um, we have some channels, some chat channels on Slack where we just talk back and forth and, and pitch headlines to each other. The, the joke is in the headline. That's where it all starts is with the headline. So once we land on a headline that we want to do, then, you know, we green light it and start, you know, someone gets tasked with writing up the article and doing the Photoshop and all that. So um, it's just a process of looking at what's going on in the world and trying to exaggerate it to make a point. You know, that's primarily what satire does is it takes reality uh, whatever direction the truth is pointing in, and then goes a step beyond that in the direction the truth is already pointing. So yes, there's definitely definitely an element of truth to 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 good satire. Anyway, it's it's not really going to make people laugh or resonate with them if it's not tethered to the truth. And, and I like the extra step that goes along. This is why I appreciate the work that you guys do so much. You start with the truth. You work your way into comedy, but it's also making a point on the other end that you aren't necessarily spelling out in so many words in the satire, but it's obvious to anybody reading what you're trying to say. That's hard to do. It is, yeah. It takes um, it takes a special talent. You know, not, not everybody's really very good at satire. It's hard for us to find talent, but sometimes they come to us. You know, we have people, some of our readers pitch ideas to us. We've, we've actually hired a lot of people out of our own audience that, uh, that just... <laughs> relentlessly pitched ideas at us until we finally took one of them. And um, if they have enough good ideas, you can work here. Yeah. And, and a lot of people think they could work there and they really can't. <laughs> they really can't. Yes. Very hey, true. I, I've been curious for a long time now. How does someone like you end up being the CEO of a satire site? What's your background? How did you end up there? You and your brother both work there, right? Yeah. Yeah. My brother's our chief technology officer and, and one of the uh, one of the owners. Um, it's a crazy story. I mean, I grew up in the church myself. Um, my dad is a retired pastor. I, I say all the time, I, I make the mistake of saying my dad was a pastor and everyone thinks he's dead. He's not dead. He's just, <laughs> well, that's he's just good. not a pastor any longer. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I had a, a background in the church. You know, I grew up in youth group and I saw kind of the inner workings of the church. And so, you know, when I, when I encountered the bee, um, probably in like 2017 for the first time, uh, it really resonated with me. You know, I got a lot of the humor. They were a lot of inside church jokes that made sense to me because I, I knew exactly what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, 
so I I liked the B and I was a fan of the B initially. Um, but I you know I never thought I would own it or run it. I, I initially when I reached out to Adam Ford who started the B in 2016, um, I was reaching out from the perspective of an investor. I was I was looking at getting involved um, just to see if I could help uh, grow the site. You know, take it to the next level, kick some money in, and uh, because I just thought it was I thought it was fun, funny, and impactful, and yeah. could do a lot. So. I was excited about the opportunity to invest in it, and he didn't really want an investor. He wanted a buyer. He wanted to get out. So um, we ended up working out a deal where he's retained some of his equity, but but I bought the majority of it in early 2018 and and took the site over. And I, that was not what I was looking to do, um, but uh, you know, it's been it's now the most fun thing that I do. It's the most rewarding thing that I do. It's the most impactful thing that I do. And so I don't I don't regret it at all. But I was initially very intimidated by the by the prospect of running a um, not just a media publication, which I had never run before, but a satirical media publication. Um, who has experience with that? You know, Nobody. There aren't, <laughs> there aren't many people running successful satire publications, period. So, um, and now that we're the most popular one on the internet, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you write some of it yourself, or do you just manage the people who create this stuff? I've been curious about that. Uh, I did Initially, I wrote a lot more than I do now. I, I, rarely, uh, I rarely get involved in the writing now, but yeah. Um, more so on the marketing side, the ad copy, uh, marketing messaging, um, and representing the company. But initially, I was much more involved in pitching ideas. And it's just running the business has taken up more and more of my time. And we've hired more and more talent to take that over. So I don't have to be as involved as I used to be. Well, here's another headline that caught my attention. Shark Week lacks diversity and overrepresents men named Mike, scientists say. <laughs> Except that's not the B. That's yeah. the Washington Post, an actual recent headline whose slogan, by the way, is democracy dies in darkness. Seth, I, don't know biggest... how that, I don't know how that's a real headline. Who, who wrote that? Who <laughs> I don't know. Who story, wrote that headline and thought, this is serious, hard-hitting journalism? <laughs> and, and that's my point. Uh, your biggest competition now is not other satire sites. It's the actual news media because they're yeah. writing stuff that's just as outrageous as what you're writing. Yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges. You know, I, I, this, this comes up often when I'm talking to people about our, our job, um, you know, doing satire in an insane world, um, I think the common misperception is that that's an easy task. And people say all the time, they're like, well, you know, the world's so crazy, there's so much to make fun of, right? And yes, that's true. There's a lot to make fun of. There's a lot of mockable stuff happening in our world right now. But but the way that I described satire earlier is, is typically exaggerating the truth to make a point. You know, you're kind of caricaturing things a little bit, right? The way that yeah. a caricature artist exaggerates the features of the person that he's drawing. Um, that's harder to do when the world is this crazy. I, you know, I, I quote Chesterton all the time who said the world has become too absurd to be satirized. That was back in 1911 when he said that. And if you think about what's going on in the world today where you have like um, male athletes dominating women's sports, uh, female inmates getting each other pregnant in prisons, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff, drag queen story hour for children. There's insane stuff happening in the world um, that's really hard to exaggerate and, and parody. And I tell people all the time, like, you think my job is easy. Okay, imagine, put yourself in our shoes for a second. Imagine if your job was to write jokes that are funnier than what Democrats are doing in real life. Imagine <laughs> if that's your job. Try writing a speech that's funnier than a Kamala Harris speech, a real Kamala Harris speech. Good luck. Right, or you could just run Joe Biden quotes every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think it makes our job more challenging. Um, but hey, it's still fun. 
I, here's another, and this actually is a B headline. Man in critical condition after hearing slightly differing viewpoint. I appreciated that one because it's, it's one thing to do satire in the Christian realm. It's tricky enough because if people get the joke, they love you. But if they don't get the joke or don't like the joke, then they immediately, they, instead of questioning your sense of humor, they start questioning your church membership. I mean, they, yeah. they start going after your faith. But you have the extra challenge of you're not just reaching out to a church audience. You're going out to the big old world out there. And when people in the big old world don't get the joke or don't like the joke, you get shadow banned. You even get outright kicked out. I mean, Twitter kicked you right off their site. Yeah. Well, what they did was, you know, Twitter, what, what Twitter's done is they've, they've baked their own um, radical gender ideology into their terms of service. And they, they hold themselves out as a platform for free expression. That's what they say in their own terms of use. It's what they say on their hateful conduct page, which is, you know, the, the, the policy that we violated was their hateful conduct policy. They say they're a platform for free expression without barriers. Those are their words. Um, but, you know, they throw up all of these barriers in, in, your, in your way. Um, that's only lip service that they're paying to free expression because what they've done is they've decided that, you know, dead naming is really a thing. Misgendering is a thing. You know, that, it's, that, it's, that if, if someone identifies as being a woman when they're actually a male, you have to acknowledge them as being a woman or else you're guilty of hate speech. That's in their terms of service now. And so you have to buy into their worldview or remain silent. Those are your two choices. That's it. You can't even mock it. You can't joke about it. Um, and that is, in my view, that is just a, uh, it's a way of protecting and propping up an ideology that can't be rationally uh, defended or even coherently articulated. The way that you prop it up is to bar criticism, especially the, the criticism of mockery, uh, the, the comedic criticism that uses mockery to expose foolishness. You have to block that stuff because if you don't, then your whole uh, house of cards falls down because you can't defend it any other way. And a society that can't laugh is certainly an unhealthy society. It's a sign of serious, deep issues within that culture. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, it, I think it's a healthy thing. It's a, sign of, it's a sign of maturity, not just spiritual maturity, but maturity in general when you can, um, when you can look at yourself uh, not just critically, um, but 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 be able to laugh at yourself, be able to take yourself less seriously, to 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 allow levity to exist, even if it's at your own expense. Um, because you know none of us is perfect. I, I, the way that I put it is, you know, we're all at some point passengers on the ship of fools, right? We've all done things that are silly, that are hypocritical. We all deserve to be uh, humbled a little bit. Um, and, uh, and, and pride is really a vice, not a virtue. So it's a, it's a good thing when we're able to laugh at ourselves. It's a good thing to be able to laugh with the people who are laughing at us every now and then. Um, it's not as, it's not as uh, simple and cut and dried as simply saying that anybody who's making a joke at someone else's expense is a, is a mean bully who needs to be silenced. Um, I, I don't think that that's true at all. I think that comedy plays an important role in, allow, in helping us to take ourselves less seriously. When your Twitter feed reappeared in the middle of November, you, you posted, quote, we're back, let that sink in. And I get the impression that you were saying something way more than those six words, that there was a lot more meaning behind that. Can you share a bit of what was going on in your head when you wrote that? <laughs> we labored over what to write when we came back to Twitter. Um, we had a long time to think about it, being in, <laughs> in Twitter jail for eight plus months. So yeah. on principle, uh, I should add. 
Yeah, yeah. We were there by choice, essentially, because we were, well, it was, you know, a bend the knee situation. They wanted us to to acknowledge that we engaged in hateful conduct, and we refused to do that. You know, we, yep. we stubbornly refused to say that we, we, you know, we're like, look, this is not hateful. It's, if anything, it's true. And truth is not hate speech. So, yes, we, we were in Twitter jail for a long time uh, because we refused to uh, acknowledge that we had done something wrong. Um, and uh, it, we haven't really provided the background of what it was that we did, but we, we, we named Rachel Levine, who is a transgender health admiral, we named Rachel Levine Man of the Year in response to USA Today naming him Woman of the Year. Um, and that was a joke that we just threw out there in defense of sanity and women everywhere. Elon Musk, after many months uh, after he had made an offer on Twitter, finally closed this deal. And, uh, and he closed the deal and kind of reenacted in person this popular meme where, you know, in the meme you have this, uh, people will post this in the comments on Twitter. It's very popular on Twitter where people will say, let that sink in. And then underneath that is an image of a sink on someone's doorstep that's like trying to get into their home. And so it's <laughs> let like, that sink it's just a silly in. meme. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, but, but he, uh, he decides to act this out and actually go out there, buy a sink, and then carry it through the doors of Twitter's headquarters, uh, headquarters um, and said, you know, let that sink in. Um, I did so, not know the backstory, so that's helpful yeah, to hear so the rest of Yeah, so he's acting out a meme there. And then so <laughs> what we did was when we, when, we, uh, when we were restored a couple of weeks later after he took over the platform, you know, we wanted to give a nod to Elon Musk by acknowledging his joke. Uh, well, also at the same time, just simply announcing that we were back. So that's that's essentially it. Yeah. How do we effectively push back against a culture that wants to ban everything that doesn't affirm their point of view of the world? Well, I think there's a number of ways to do that. Obviously, the way that we've chosen to do it and that we think is one of the most effective ways is is through humor. Um, I say, I say often that. Uh, that the absurd has only become sacred because it hasn't been sufficiently mocked. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have some of the insanity that I mentioned a moment ago, you know, these, these crazy ideas, the idea that a three-year-old can be transgender, that boys can become girls, um, that it's not inappropriate to have drag queens dancing for children, critical race theory, wokeness, all of these things. You have all of this crazy stuff that's very difficult to defend rationally. Um, it's very difficult to even articulate the worldview that's being promoted coherently. And so, you know, when you have when you have people who've abandoned rationality on purpose, I think one of your only avenues for for arguing with or, or or putting down their ideas is not to try to refute them or reason with them, because what what reason are you going to appeal to in someone who's abandoned rationality on purpose? But you can ridicule their bad ideas. You can mock them and make them look silly. Um, and I think one of the problems that we've had is that these 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 crazy ideas have become super popular and not just popular. They're not just mainstream. They are mandatory. As we found in our case, it went from mainstream to mandatory where you have to affirm these things or you can get lost. Those are your choices. And uh, and I, I think the reason that we've arrived at that place is because we took these ideas that should have never been taken seriously in the first place seriously. We affirmed and accepted what we should have ridiculed and rejected. And because we did that, we ended up in a place where now uh, two and two make five. Uh, you know, insanity is everywhere, and you stand out like a lone lunatic if you actually say something true, something simple like men are men and can't become pregnant. Um, 
you know, so I just think that it's it's a matter of us uh, taking stuff too seriously that we never should have taken seriously. So I think mockery is a is a very effective tool when it comes to um, uh, pushing back on uh, and poking holes in the popular narrative, which in this day and age is wildly insane. I think mockery is the best way to do that. Nothing exposes lunacy and lies like laughter. Something I've been thinking about a lot this week, uh, just along the way, we, we hear stories about, you know, preferred pronouns, people putting their preferred pronouns on their social media pages and, and requesting them in public spaces. Then you see the story uh, at the Supreme Court. We just saw the case recently of 303 Creative, which is about a website designer who just wants to make websites that are in keeping with her belief about the world, her worldview. But there are those who want to force her to express ideas that she doesn't agree with. You got the mm -hmm. cake bakers who just want to make cakes that are expressing their point of view. But you have people who want to force them to make cakes that express a different worldview. So much of what we're seeing right now is about one group of people trying to force another group of people to speak as if they agree with the worldview of that first group. Is that what you're mm -hmm. saying as well? Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's, a, it's not just silencing um, dissent. It's also compelling compliance and compelling agreement and affirmation. You know, they want you to not just, uh, you know, they, they want you to either be quiet or they want you to cheer them on and affirm them. And, and, uh, and, and they'll compel you to do that if, if you don't want to. Um, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of that, um, and you know you wonder how far it would go the other way. Imagine walking you have the, you have the classic case of the the Christian baker or or, or whatever who who is asked to do a, a wedding cake for a same sex ceremony and declines to do it and then gets sued and all this stuff. Um, you know uh, do 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 gay bakers want to make cakes that say same sex marriage is sinful or something like that? You know like do they want to do they want to be involved in and crafting messaging like that or being involved in something that they don't believe in you know maybe there's a maybe there's a uh, a rally that's that's opposing same-sex marriage and they're they're doing party planning for that and they want to hire some gay people to be involved in that party planning they're not going to want to do that um and you know it's not it's not discriminatory to to make judgments uh based on your values in terms of what events you want to evolve, involve yourself with or what messaging you want to promote um you're not you're not holding it at someone's immutable characteristics against them when you do that. You're just you know it, it, using your own freedom to express your own values. And so having I think, an opinion, and having an opinion, and I think everybody has a right to that on both sides, and no one should be compelling the other to to violate their either their religious convictions or their or deeply held uh, beliefs and convictions, regardless of the religion that's behind it. Um, so yes, but but there's there's a purpose behind all of that. All of that is is to mainstream this stuff to the extent that they can, make it popular, and then move it to the next level where it becomes not just mainstream, but mandatory. And that's how, that's how you insulate it from criticism, is, is by making it mandatory, and any criticism can get you banned, silenced, uh, it can destroy your business, canceled. Um, you know, and that is a very, in, in my view, Nothing can communicate insecurity more than that. If that's the way that you go about defending what you're trying to promote, um, then you're pretty insecure in what you're trying to promote because you're not letting it just stand on its own and you're not finding it, you're not presenting it as something that's actually defensible. Very well put. What's ahead for the bee? What do you see in the future? Um, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, you know, we want to grow. We want to reach a broader audience. I think a lot of what's what's happened with these attacks on us have made us more... Um, 
notorious. We've 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 gained a lot of a lot of uh, followers. Um, this whole Twitter debacle, you know, we went from like 1.4, 1.5 million to 2 million uh, very quickly. Cool. Um, so we're reaching more people. We're growing our audience. I, I want to continue to do that. Um, we're branching out into other other formats. We've got video uh, now that we're doing on our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of viral videos out there. We're putting out little sketches and and uh, we even just put together a series of sketches about these Californians moving to Texas. That's pretty funny. As someone uh, so who lives dabbling. in Texas, uh, yeah, they're they're spot on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're dabbling in some sketch comedy stuff uh, with the with the YouTube channel, and uh, and so I don't know. You know, we'll we'll see we'll see where we take it from here. We have some some plans for some other big things in the works that I can't talk about yet, but um, they're they're moving along. Very cool. Anything else you'd like to share before I let you go? I appreciate your time. I appreciate your time too. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think I think one of the one of the key messages that I try to get across to people is that you know what what we did in refusing to delete that tweet um, that got us thrown in Twitter jail was um, essentially it was a refusal to censor ourselves. Um, when you censor yourself, you're doing the tyrant's work for him, and uh, and so you know my. My word to people all the time is that I, I want to encourage them, uh, I want to embolden them to refuse to do that. Uh, you know, refuse to censor yourself, refuse to do the tyrant's work for him, speak the truth boldly, come what may. Um, there may be penalties for that, but look, you know, there are people who have been willing to lay down their lives for freedom. I, I think we should be willing to give up our Twitter accounts if that's what it comes to. But thankfully, thankfully, Elon Musk uh, has restored some balance to Twitter and we'll continue to see him upholding free speech free speech principles there um you know maybe the maybe the lesson there is that if, if you ever get into trouble the world's richest man will bail you out that's our experience <laughs> seth dillon babylon b thank you so much for sharing with us today lots of good thoughts in there i really appreciate you and appreciate the work you do thank you all right if you'd like to learn more about the babylon b just go to babylonb.com or you can search for them on social media. Like we mentioned, they're back on Twitter if you want to find them there and follow them. I need to mention when it showed up in my little Twitter feed, it said, you want to follow the bee? And right underneath it was the former trust and safety officer for Twitter, which is the very <laughs> next suggested person to follow. And, and if you'd like to support the work of First Liberty Institute, we do stand for the religious freedom of every American and are ready to stand by them and with them, just as we did with the Babylon Bee. Just click on the big red give button up at the top. That's what allows us to do what we do, and we are thankful for you for your partnership and the work that we do. First Liberty is the last line of defense and your greatest hope for victory.